0: Good morning. Good morning. So um, as Philippa said, this is um, part, middle part of a three-part series. Um, I'm going to be looking at Isaiah 9 today. So if you've got Bibles, do um, put your thumb in there. We'll, we'll have the words up on the screen shortly when I read it. But um, j- just if you want to turn that up in your Bible. Um, these words are really well known. Um, as we read through them, you'll say, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Uh, that's very familiar. Um, Enshrined in Handel's Messiah. Um, the inspiration of scores of contemporary and traditional songs, carols, even Christmas cards. Um, If if you're someone who collects trivia um, or you're about to go to a Christmas um, pub quiz, then you might just want to clock in your head that that Handel's Messiah was first performed in Dublin. I didn't know that. Um, What is more funny is that um, John Wesley... um, actually attended that very first performance about 280 years ago, and he said this, there were some uh, parts that were affecting, but I doubt that it has any lasting power. (laughs) Yeah, well, okay, 300 years later, I think we probably think he was wrong on that particular occasion. But... (laughs) <laughs> what, what, you'll, what you'll also um, remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when, when John was sharing uh, from Isaiah 7, um, he, he very helpfully reminded us that, that actually Isaiah is one of the most quoted or the most quoted Old Testament books in the New Testament. And we know that the words, because they're so often referred back to um, fr- from the New Testament, the words refer to Jesus. So Isaiah 7, which John talked about, he will be called Emmanuel, is specifically quoted in Matthew 1.23. Isaiah 9, um, a light in the darkness, which I'm going to be talking about, um, or that, that passage anyway, was quoted in Mar- uh, Matthew 4. So time and time again, we see that the New Testament writers are saying, this person, this, this Savior, this Messiah that Isaiah was talking about is Jesus. So we have no question when we interpret and understand what's being said in the Old Testament, this is who we're talking about. But just a little bit of of context, Um, again, as John helpfully reminded us a couple of weeks ago, um, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, came at a time of threat from Assyria, and and if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember Peter at the back um, personifying Assyria, flexing his muscles, I can't get that image out of my head. Yes, okay, um, but, but a time of, of threat for, for, for the uh, people of Israel at the time, the people of Judah at the time. Um, and there was a promise of a local and immediate child born with that name, just as a reminder of God's promise. But King Ahaz didn't respond to the signs given to him at the time, nor did he lead the people um, of Judah in the ways of God. And despite those warnings, um, we read that the people of God were actually in despair. They weren't honoring God in a lifestyle quite the opposite. In fact, they were consulting mediums. They were speaking contemptuously against the king and against their God. We had um, a, a, almost a rejection of the ways of God, despite that, that first warning from um, Isaiah. And it's that context that we come into Isaiah 9. So we're going to read through um, the first uh, seven verses, um, bearing in mind that background. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Well, that's very Christmasy, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's very Jesus-centric, and it's very familiar to us. But in the midst of it, in the middle of that passage, is such a richness. Such insight into who this Emmanuel was, who this Jesus was, that we need to dig into it and get some of those rich seams uh, that will stir us in our spirits, lead us to worship. Talks about the names of Jesus, but what what is in a name? Let's just think for a minute about names. Sometimes we choose names for our own children. Um, that have got lovely or significant meanings. And our hope is that that child displays some of that characteristic as they grow older. Our eldest daughter is called Abigail. There's a few other Abigail's around in the room I know. Um, Abigail means father's joy. And I've seen that, that's been lovely from the moment our Abby was born um, to to, as she is now a mum with her own two children. What a joy she's brought to me. She has genuinely lived up to that name. And it's funny, when you look at the way names go in, in society, so often they reflect cultural issues too. Um, people name their children because they want to make a point. They want to recognise or, or align with a, a current way of thinking. And, and we see, for instance, at the moment, that um, the alignment to environmental ecological issues is, is true. We have a number of greeters being born now. Um, Bizarrely, we have a few Davids, which is coming back. David Attenborough, I presume, um, but that's coming back up as well. But, but we also things uh, like an increase in ravens, oceans, willows, and ivies, to name but a few. It's, it's, it's following a trend. It's people recognizing that the name is significant. It, it makes a statement. Sometimes a name is given in hindsight, and particularly to, to kings, and there's, there's three up here. Um, th- Looking back on their reign, or in the middle of their reigns, from, from left to right here, you have Richard the Lionheart. Well, that's a great thing to be called, isn't it? A Lionheart. Lion-hearted king. Um, that's fantastic. Um, the next one is uh, rather unfortunate, Ethelred the Unready. Well, I know he came to the throne when he was about ten, but right the way through his reign he demonstrated his uh, lack of readiness to really uh, do the stuff as far as the king was concerned. And on the right we have Bloody Mary, um, Mary I, Queen of Scots, who, who had got quite a reputation um, for well, n- n- shedding blood of others um, uh, inappropriately in lots of instances. So there were names that were given to reflect reputations that people had. Now when we think about biblical names they're much, very often, much more full of meaning. Now, um, if, you, if you read a little bit earlier in the Isaiah passage, you'll see um, that Aya's two sons were called, um, first, his eldest son was called a remnant shall return, that's interesting, his second son, and just imagine for a moment the, the conversation that was had when his wife discovered she was pregnant for the second time, and they were thinking, what should we call this, this, this baby when it arrives? The second baby was called, swifter the booty, speedy to the prey. Well, I mean, that's quite interesting. Quite a good job that his wife was also a prophet and so had that sense of God. But in that instance, God was giving names to the children of the prophet to make a point, to to communicate something prophetic to the people of God. With the names of God himself, they're always intentional, reflecting his nature and his character. Always significant, always rich in meaning. So it really is of significant importance that as we read this passage, we see some of the magnificent names of Jesus here in Isaiah, as he builds a fuller picture of the promise of the hope in chapter seven. He said in chapter seven, Emmanuel, God is with us. In chapter nine, he builds on that. He said, who is this God? Who is this God that is with us? Who is this promised Messiah? What do we know about him? What can we expect from him when he comes? That's what these names were doing. The names show us the divinity of Jesus, that he was indeed God. But they also reflect the triune nature of God as well. The trinity itself is reflected in these names of Jesus that are given to him here. But why is that important? Why why is it actually important that in those times that the, the people of God... Uh, knew what the names of Jesus were and what, what that meant. Why is it important for us to really grasp this as well? Well, because if we have a wrong understanding of who Jesus is, then it affects the belief we have about ourselves, about our identity, about our sin, and about the people around us and our impact on the people around us. Jesus is described as a cornerstone. Um, There's a cornerstone here, which was um, put up on the chimney of uh, a a construction company, an iron construction company, or iron, as you can see up there. Um, A cornerstone is probably the stone that's put down in the most careful way, because it's the stone that every other stone in the building, every other brick in the building takes its sight from. If you put the cornerstone down wrong, if you put it down wonky, if you put it down skewed, then the whole of the building ends up being skewed and wonky. So it's put down really precisely. It's checked, it's measured. Um, These days it would be laser uh, checks on it to make sure it's perfectly, perfectly straight and square. Jesus is described as our cornerstone. Now, he is perfect. He is without flaw. But if we build on a misshaped Jesus as a result of our own wishful thinking or misunderstanding, then we can become distorted too. Our lives can become distorted because we're building to a wrong-shaped Jesus. It's so, so important that we have a biblical view of Jesus, a true view of Jesus, in all its wonderful facets, and that we build our lives to them. We sometimes talk, don't we, about becoming more like Jesus. And that's the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. But we've got to make sure we're building to the right Jesus. We've got to make sure that our understanding of Jesus is absolutely scriptural. And is not, we don't allow our own thinking to, to, to change that. So it's so important to get that right. So let me give you a simple example. If I believe Jesus is a loving brother, well, which he is, that's true. But I don't also recognize Jesus as a judge, which he also is, then I'll have, I won't have the right attitude towards my own sin, my own holiness. I'll, I'll live a life that doesn't really care about the things that I do, the way that I live, because Jesus will forgive me. He's my brother. He understands me. Well, all of that is true, but it's only one aspect of Jesus. It's only one side of the cornerstone. We've got to make sure that we have a full understanding of all the aspects of Jesus so that we live right the way across our lives in a way that is honoring to to God so what does this passage in Isaiah 9 tell us of Jesus character and importantly how should we live differently because of that truth so important isn't it to not just understand in our heads the truth of scripture but to allow it to take root in our hearts as well and make a difference to the way that we live but before we look at some of the detail, the individual words, let me just think about some of the, the, the if you like, the overarching things that, that have uh, are come out here. So look at the construction. Each of these four um, phrases has a, 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 a statement about who Jesus is, but also a describing word, an adjective, about what sort of person he is. So so we have um, not just a counsellor, but a wonderful counselor not just a father but an everlasting father and those this construction the way that the scripture is laid out here is so so helpful for us to meditate on to think about to allow it to stir us to worship as we get some richness out of that and if there is one overarching application and personal response to this passage it is one of worship it's one of saying jesus you are amazing you're wonderful you are so unlike any other You are, there's there's no one that compares to you. That's our heart's response, overarching to to, to what's said here. So let's have a look at those, verse 6, Isaiah 9, verse 6, again. And look at these individual names. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. So as I was preparing for this, I was just asking God just just to open that up to me. And I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Open it up. Holy Spirit, come and open these words up to me. So, wonderful counsellor. Well, what does that make me think? An extraordinary God. Surpassing person. A marvellous, a supernatural person. Someone who is full of wonder. Wonderful. The counsellor. One who brings wisdom. One who counsels us. One who shows us how to live to God's glory prompting us to act um, or not to act in a particular way. Let me give you an example that, that where I've, I think I've uh, applied this. Um, a few years ago now, we had the opportunity, um, uh, interestingly listening to Cliff, um, through um, a, an offered redundancy. Um, the company I was working for was closing down. Um, and the, um, the option was you can go to the new company um, and it, get a promotion but it was a move it was a move from Sussex where we lived up to Stoke-on-Trent Anne and I went up there we we prayed we looked we visited a church up there um, everything said we should go everything said we should go even some of our Christian friends it's great opportunity we just got a sense of check in the spirit that it was not the right thing to do a sense of the wonderful counselor saying no not this time and that was on a background of, of a number of occasions where he'd asked that question before. Is it time for us to move on? Is it, is it a new season for us? But he very clearly said no. We discovered that having turned that down and, and actually taken redundancy, which is another story. But um, having, having made that decision, we found that a year later, that new company completely collapsed. Um, and there would have been no job. We would have been in a, a new place, a new church. Who knows what might have happened? But we just felt so reassured a year down the line that God... Knew better. He had that perfect, wonderful counsel for us at that time. Just an example, but one of many that we've known over the time where we've tried in big decisions just to say, God, we know what common sense would say, but what does your wonderful counsel say to us? Be a people that are asking that question often. We then read that Jesus is called Mighty God, a God that is full of. Of power and might the warrior God is, is some of the words that the richness of the words that are, are in there nothing is too hard for him he's mighty to save he's able to do abundantly more than we ask or imagine he's a mighty God but he is God as well the perfect image of God delighted to dwell in man Emmanuel, God is with us. God is really with us, living with us, living in us by his spirit. How amazing is that, that we have that promise, that truth, that reality in our lives? Holy God in Jesus living in us. Just blows the mind, doesn't it? Just blows the mind. But what an amazing call to our worship, to our, uh, our perspective on life. And again, <laughs> Cliff, so, so much of what you said, I, I could relate to. Um, I've got a tendency to be self-reliant as well. I know that. I know that um, if I'm not careful, um, I don't live enough in the expectation that God hears and answers my prayer. Um, we know that Jesus is God and he's at the right hand of God interceding for us, but he also loves and, and works through us as we pray. I need to remind myself regularly that God is mighty to do, to do things, to answer my prayer. No circumstance that I find myself in is too big for God to deal with. There is nothing that... Can, I might not have an answer straight away, but my perspective is that God is able. My God is able. He is a mighty God. We've got to have that right perspective. We've got to have that perspective that that's the God that we are loving, worshiping, serving. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to, to work wonders as we wait for him, as we seek him. We then read that Jesus is everlasting father. Now again, we, this is amazing, isn't it? This, this point, this, this uh, um, not just allusion to the Trinity, but this statement that, that Jesus, the Messiah, is also the everlasting father. That, it blows the mind again, but this sense that we've got the richness of the Trinity coming out through these <laughs> prophetic words of Isaiah. Everlasting Father. He is outside of time. He's never changing. He's always constant. He's our creator. He's accessible, which is what Katie was praying earlier on today, wasn't it? That, that sense that you've got the big and the small, the, the God of creation and the, the personal God that we can uh, liaise with. We know that he's our Father, that he is full of love. He embraces us. He's faithful to us. He works all things for good in us as we love him. That's the father that we're we're, uh, coming before. When he disciplines us, which he does sometimes, it's out of a father's heart. It's out of a father's love. And and let's remember that often what's happening when he's disciplining us, he's not disciplining us just for the moment. He's disciplining us as an eternal father, as an everlasting father. So he's shaping our character for eternity. It's not just about our comfort here and now and have a good time. No, it's about he's shaping us, he's making us more like Jesus in his discipline that we might be ready for eternity and glorifying him. That's an amazing perspective of our eternal father, our everlasting father. And of course, let's also not miss the reference, as, as Philip was so helpfully leading us in prayer earlier, earlier this morning, let's not miss the reference to the everlasting nature of his government as well. The fact that of the increase of the government and peace, uh, there will be no end. And in this current political environment, and we don't know what's going to come, and we might be uncertain, we might be in fear. Let's remember that, that actually, who's calling the shots? It's our everlasting father. It's the one that's in heaven. It's the prince of peace. It's the one who's, uh, for, for whom there will be no end to his government. It's just so helpful, so helpful when we are praying about a current political situation to bear in mind that we've got this everlasting father who's t- for which there will be no end to their kingdom. So, so helpful to get that perspective. So from a personal point of view, I'm trying to illustrate each of these as I've reflected and dwelt on these. Um, we know that we have access to our Heavenly Father who loves us and is for us. I think over the years, I've, I've learned to be very secure in that. Even when things have not been going well, Well, I haven't been at work, and, and so often we take our value, don't we, from, from the, the work we have, the title we have, whether that's in church or outside, um, the salary that we have, the size of house that we have, the car that we drive, the children that we have, the number of children, how well they behave. So often there are things that are good things but we can put our value in them we can take our sense of meaning and sense of value from those things let's not do that friends let's take our value from the fact that we are children of God the fact that he's our everlasting father let's do that because then think we're not promised a an easy life we're not promised that everything will go well When things don't go well, our immediate response is not, oh, woe is me or is God loving me? No, it's God, I don't understand the situation, but I know you love me. I know that I am loved and that you're for me. And I'm working this life out on this earth to your glory, regardless of what happens around me. We have to work through some stuff sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we face grief. Sometimes we face disappointment. But let's not lose the fact that we have an everlasting father who loves me. That's what I've tried to do over the years. We've, we've faced some quite tricky things as, um, as, as a family. Not least, and I won't go into the detail, but um, not least a, a son-in-law, just before he was a son-in-law, being arrested and, and um, threatening, being, being threatened with a prison sentence. Working stuff like that through, knowing that God's our father, What's happening, Lord? But you're my Father. You've, you're mighty God. You're the one who I can trust in. You're the one who loves me. Let's take our value and our sense of, of security from the rock that is Jesus, from the rock that is our everlasting father my life is hidden with christ in god that's what that's some of what this means it's some of what this means that i can be secure in god regardless of what's going on around me i absolutely love um, the the passage in hebrews 10 and comes out through the cornerstone song um, that talks about my anchor holds within the veil if you just think about what that means at the moment there's an anchor on my soul that is stuck in jesus that's stuck there in the veil behind in the holy of holies i know that whatever else happens i'm anchored there that is such a good place to be does it always work sometimes i have a wave yes of course i do we all do but but my my if you like my encouragement to you is is pray this one through get others to pray with you to, to to know what it means to have that anchor secure within the veil secure in jesus such a good place to be And then the fourth we have is Prince of Peace. Well, Jesus, he's of kingly descent. He's God's son. He's royal. He brings um, to us in the peace reconciliation to God. That's part of what that peace is. It's about the fact that he brings us into relationship with the Father. God's intent always is to have us in relationship with him. Peace with God. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did on the cross. He made that possible, that we could know peace with God. But that peace is also about knowing peace now that passes understanding. It's a peace that's eternal. It's a peace that is about where's my future, not just about my current circumstances. It's a peace that we can know even when things are difficult and not going as they plan, this is where my story differs a little bit from what Cliff was saying, because we're still in the middle of this. We we moved into Mosey a year ago, as as uh, Philip said earlier. Um, we are renting our house out in East Grinstead, um, and renting here just as, as an interim period, just to see what God will will say to us about house moves and what have you. Um, and we've needed those tenants to pay for our rent this end. Well, um, we had a two year tenancy with our te- tenants um, in August. Uh, they gave us notice unexpectedly. Um, and since then, we have been trying to find tenants. Um, that came, we've had about 10 viewings, nothing uh, yet, until a couple of weeks ago uh, when we had our agent say to us, You've got this great family that are keen to move in. They're desperate, their house sale has fallen through. They'll be in before Christmas. Um, so we th- great, thank you, Lord. Thank you for pray- Thanks for Life Group and others for praying with us. That's been really helpful. Um, they were due to move in the Saturday morning, uh, three o'clock on that Thursday, two days before they pulled out. Um, really frustrating, <laughs> really annoying, <laughs> really expensive. But it's at times like that where we can say, do I know the Prince of Peace? I might not understand why, I might not be able to rationalise, come on, God, you know, why aren't you answering my prayer at the moment? Yeah, there's a bit of that. Of course there's a bit of that. But there's also a sense of God, you're sovereign, you're mighty, I can know your peace. We need to know the Jesus as Prince of Peace so that when things don't go as we expect, as we hope, as we plan, we don't get thrown we don't our faith doesn't get thrown on the rocks, we don't go through a massive wobble, we don't doubt God but we come back to God and say, you're my Prince of Peace, Jesus. Help me to know you more. Help me to know more of the reality of that as we work through this difficult situation. Please continue to pray for us because we're still waiting for tenants. Um, But as we've gone through this, one of the things that struck me is that, where's my focus? Is my focus on the provision, in other words, tenants and the rent, or is it on the provider? I think we need to remember that sometimes, don't we? That actually... You know, I'm, I'm not called to, to, to have wealth, I'm not called to be rich, but I am called to be a child of God and someone who honors God in everything that I do. And that's about our heart attitudes as well as what we say and what we demonstrate outwardly. So, so let's, let's just pray again that, that we'll know more of the Prince of Peace when those difficult circumstances do come. So how to, how to wrap it up, how to respond to those magnificent words of isaiah those those promptings that would say to us we need to live differently we need to respond to the truth of what we're reading in scripture isaiah shows us the beauty of jesus as well as his divinity god dwelt among us god of eternity of creation our heavenly father fully represented in jesus His counseling work continued in us through the Holy Spirit. We can allow these verses of Isaiah to inspire us to worship, and we'll do that in a moment. Jamie, perhaps you could uh, come up. But there is also this very challenging practical question as to whether I live and think and pray in the light of who Jesus is or more importantly in the light of what scripture says Jesus is like it's not about being unreal it's not about having a head in the sand and and the psalmists frequently lament their circumstances or express their frustration or uncertainty that's okay but time and time again what those psalmists do is they come back and say let's not forget his benefits let's not forget who God really is. Let's not forget. And and the psalmist so often says, "Oh my soul, rejoice in who God is." That's that's our call. That's our call. Oh, our soul, talk to us, our, our own souls, our own spirits. Oh my soul, who is this Jesus that we worship? Who is this Jesus that we love? And let's uh, let our hearts respond to that. So so this Christmas, um, we're going to hear these words so many times. The song we're going to listen to in a minute, again, just brings these words, these names of Jesus to life. But let's be challenged to look beyond the familiar words of carols and seasonal Bible readings and see the real Jesus that we celebrate, Emmanuel, God is with us. Hallelujah.